Hello and welcome to this latest installment of Barnard's on the NBA. I'm your host, Matt Barnard, and I'm joined here by my son and co-host, Emilio. Hey, it's me, Emilio. It is, Emilio, and uh, we're here uh, this week to uh, discuss uh, what would happen if we redrafted the uh, 1985 NBA draft. This is a continuation of our uh, redraft series, the uh, third draft we've covered, uh, started with 1987. Uh, followed it up with 1977, and now here we are randomly discussing the 1985 NBA draft. Now, this was a particularly momentous one in NBA history. Yes, we are, and um, this this one had a lot of great um, guys out there, and um, we're going to run down the lottery for you guys and um, talk about just a few other players. Yeah, so uh, there were uh, five Hall of Famers to emerge from uh, from this draft class. And of course, it was the first draft class where the uh, lottery was uh, was employed. Uh, and instead of just going in reverse order of uh, finish from the previous season, uh, teams were uh, given a chance to uh, jump up, uh, depending on whether their uh, ping pong balls were selected. And uh, in fact, the uh, the Knicks moved up and had the uh, the top spot in this uh, first uh, lottery draft. Yes, they did, and it really paid off for them drafting a great. Patrick Ewing. Yes, and Patrick Ewing uh, going number one, as you mentioned in the uh, in the actual 1985 draft, and we'll we'll let you know wh- uh, who who uh, actually was in these uh, draft slots along the way as we go. But uh, right now, let's get to it. We've got a lot of great players to discuss here. Let's talk about our number one pick in the uh, 1985 redraft. Mills, who you got? I had Carl Malone, and if you didn't pick Carl Malone in this draft. I don't know what you're thinking because this guy was a Hall of Famer, 14-time All-Star, 14-time All-NBA, All-Rookie Team, All four-time All-Defense, two-time MVP, two-time All-Star Game MVP, and made the 75th anniversary team. This guy really um, racked up all the accolades, um, the mailman, as you might call him, and um, scored 25 points per game for his career and um, could really fill it up. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, really one of the uh, great volume guys in NBA history, obviously tremendous quality as well, but his volume really uh, puts him in uh, incredibly rare air. Uh, 1,476 regular season games in his career, a whole lot of playoff games as well. Uh, We're talking about uh, 193 of those. So in terms of the counting stats, I mean, there were few who could really match up with uh, Carl Malone. I would say, and um, he... uh... He um, just a great scorer. I mean, second all-time in points. Uh, third all-time in points. Third all-time, just being passed by LeBron recently. Yeah. And um, 11th all-time in points per game and 8th all-time in rebounds. 8th all-time in rebounds, 3rd all-time in defensive rebounds, 3rd all-time in field goals, field goals attempted, 2nd all-time in two-pointers and two-pointers attempted, 1st all-time in free throws and free throws attempted, 6th all-time in games. I mean, this guy has a lot of placements among the uh, the top ten, even the top five. Fourth in wind chairs, fourth in VORP. Second in personal fouls, second in turnovers. Yeah, but it just speaks to uh, how long Carl uh, Malone went at it in the league. Obviously, uh, a, a guy who uh, you know ne- never got over the hump and won a championship despite uh, his efforts uh, through all of his uh, 19 NBA seasons, made the playoffs every year of his career. Wow. Wow, and he was um, playing from 85 to 04. So um, this guy, this guy was playing for quite a while, and to make the playoffs every year is um, pretty impressive. It's really remarkable. And, of course, taken with the uh, 13th overall pick by the Jazz, with whom he played uh, just about all of his career, everything but that final season, 
Um, and obviously that was uh, an amazing choice out of uh, Louisiana Tech, the uh, greatest player to attend Louisiana Tech and really, I mean, one of the great players in NBA history. Yeah, before I move on from um, the great Carl Malone, um, I mean, you don't see many drafts where the 13 overall pick is the number one pick in a redraft. Yeah, absolutely. He, he far exceeded his uh, draft position and really just a, an incredibly solid player. I mean, it's hard to believe he was able to maintain his level for as long as he could. But, I mean, this is a guy who was averaging uh, 20 points per game, 20.6 in his age 39 season. Playing 81 games. I mean, like, yeah. talk about a stalwart. I mean, a, a guy who... Uh, yeah, this guy um, didn't let his age get to him. No, he really didn't. And, of course, uh, famed, I mean, we'd be remiss not to mention uh, his longtime teammate, John Stockton, another Hall of Famer who uh, was with him on the Jazz for so many years. Those two guys playing 1,412 games together in their careers. That is um, quite, um, quite a lot of games together, and that's got to be one of the highest all time. Absolutely. And uh, a two-time gold medalist, it's worth mentioning, on, as a member of the U.S. Olympic team, uh, a multiple-time uh, Hall of Famer. He's in with that uh, 92 uh, U.S. Olympic team that uh, uh, won in Barcelona, as well as a, an individual, of course, and uh, has his uh, number retired, of course, uh, number 32, at uh, both Louisiana Tech and by the Utah Jazz. And no surprise there. Also, um, before we move on from Carl Malone, um, John Stockton uh, might be the only one who knows what um, he says before he takes his free throws. Yeah, well known for uh, muttering some things to himself before he uh, pops it up the line. So, uh, I mean, hey, it worked out because he's um, first all time in free throws and free throws made. Yeah, I mean, you can't argue with uh, with those and, kind and of free results. Throws attempted. Yeah, I, absolutely. All right, so I, I had Carl Malone number one uh, as well, of course, and uh, let's let's move on to. Uh, to number two, and I think we're talking about the guy who was taken number one in this draft for real. Yes, we are, and um, we both had this guy at number two, I believe. Or Absolutely, did. yes, yes, um, Patrick Ewing, 11-time All-Star, 7-time All-NBA, Rookie of the Year, All-Rookie Team, All-Defense Team, and 75th of the Rookie Team. And um, today, this is going to be the only guy we're talking about Rookie of the Year because um, this guy won the Rookie of the Year in the 85 um, season. Actually, it might not be. We'll get to that later. But um, okay, he um, he did win Rookie of the Year of this class, and um, that's impressive given how much talent is in this um, group. No question. But uh, Patrick Ewing, uh, a, a player who uh, takes a backseat to uh, very few in NBA history. Uh, I mean, one of one of the all time greats. I mean, a, a guy who uh, came into the league with a tremendous amount of fanfare. Obviously, number one overall pick. Obviously, uh, you know, attended Georgetown, was, I mean, very, very well known as he entered the league uh, and, and really uh, comes from uh, an, an amazing story. I mean, really, uh, you know, never picked up a, uh, a basketball or really uh, got involved in, in playing hoops until he was about uh, 13 years old when he moved to um, just outside Boston, uh, to Cambridge, Massachusetts, uh, started getting going on his way to high school and uh, moved all the way from that from that relative inex inexperience to being the number one pick in the NBA draft and did so after having a college career that really, I mean, you run down his uh, college accolades. I'm just going to do this here because, uh, I mean, they're, they're really incredible. An NCAA champion in uh, 1984 when he won the most outstanding player, a national college player of the year in 85, three-time consensus first-team All-American, two-time Big East player of the year, four-time Big East defensive player of the year, uh, national high school player of the year, I mean, this guy really racked up the accolades prior to joining the league. And um, 
just a, um, a a fabulous player in the league and um, played 82 games multiple um, multiple seasons and played over a thousand games in the league. Yeah, I mean, one thousand one hundred and eighty-three regular season games uh, to go along with uh, one hundred and thirty-nine uh, postseason games. Another guy who never got over the hump and won a title, uh, like Carl uh, Malone, who we just discussed. But I mean, a, a guy who was absolutely rock solid as uh, as as the center for the Knicks for for years, uh, led that team to uh, two finals appearances during his time in New York. And uh, you, know, you look at his uh, contributions on the offensive end. I mean, he scored as many as uh, 28.6 points per game uh, during that 89-90 season. I mean, look at the block totals as well. I mean, when you're looking back at Patrick Ewing, I mean, that year he averaged four, four blocks, blocks a game. Yikes. I mean, even his last season when he wasn't that good, I mean, he still almost got to one block a game. Yeah. I mean, an average, you know, 2.4 blocks per game. Again, this is over a career that uh, that lasted uh, 1,183 games. So, I mean, like, it, that that's a whole lot of Really blocks. sustaining. Yeah, and if you look at his, his placements on the uh, on, on the all-time leaderboards, I mean, especially in the blocks area. Eighth I mean, all-time in raw blocks. Yeah, and, and 11th in, in blocks per game. So, uh, and I mean, worth mentioning, uh, ninth in defensive win shares all-time as well. So, I mean, a, a guy who had a ton of value on the defensive end in addition to, I mean, being the, you know, number 26 all-time in usage. So, obviously, relied upon for a lot of offense, too. I mean, also, it's just so impressive to be that high in a leaderboard um, at all in – Per game, because I mean, he just playing over it such a long period of time, it's hard to get up that high in um, the per game status as well. Yeah, I think you, you really find with uh, Malone and uh, and Ewing here at the top of this class, guys who uh, both had a tremendous amount of quality and quantity uh, yeah. for, for sure. So, two great players, and guys, obviously, you'd be happy to get either one of these guys as your number one pick in any draft, uh, yeah, just about. Um, yeah, so of course, I, I had Patrick Ewing on number two as well. Uh, let, let's keep moving. Who do you have at number three, Mills? I had Joe Klein. And I mean, <laughs> let's get real. We don't have time to waste on this. Uh, all right. All right. I have um, Chris Mullen. And um, talking about Molly. Yeah, we are. And um, didn't know if I should put Terry Porter, Joe Dumars in this mix, but I decided to go with Molly. Hall of Famer, five time All Star, four time All NBA, and um, another great scorer. And. Um, Solid rebounder, but um, really focusing on the scoring for this guy. I mean, only averaged eighteen point two points per game, but definitely was low end by the um, beginning and tail end of his career. And um, if you were just counting that the core of his career, it would be up there around twenty five. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, a guy who definitely played uh, past his prime. I know, uh, you know, he had some physical challenges as he got into his thirties that uh, didn't allow him to play uh, at the same level that he was at when he was uh, in his twenties. Uh, kind of a little bit before my time in terms of what I remember. I mean, I remember more hearing about what a great player Chris Mullen had been and uh, seeing him, you know, in, in the you know latter part of the 90s when he was a little bit diminished. But I mean, look at uh, the performances he was able to put up uh, for, I mean, a five-year run there, I mean, averaging over 25 points per game. Yeah, I mean, there's not that many players out there, even in this draft class, that, um, that are able to fill it up like that. But, I mean, in this draft class is um, – Certainly a scoring draft class with um, Carmelo and Patrick Ewing at the top there. Absolutely. And, I mean, a guy who contributed in the assist department as well, I mean, got up over five assists uh, per game in three of his seasons. And uh, really a superlative uh, shooter, as you mentioned. I mean, 86.5% of free throws for his career. 
Yeah. 38.4% from three, obviously, you know, all the volume caveats that we often uh, express on this show. I mean, uh, you know, apply to Mully as well. But, I mean, really, a phenomenal shooter and scorer. And in one year, he was 93% from the line. Yeah, I mean, in fact, I mean, he'd, he'd been popping uh, free throws at a really uh, high level for uh, for a long time. And back in uh, 1974, he was a uh, winner of the Elks Hoop Shoot, which is uh, you know, a national free throw contest for uh, kids. That's cool. Yeah. So this guy obviously could get it done. A uh, high school teammate of uh, from Brooklyn, I should mention, and a guy who uh, has... You know, storied past of uh, balling out on the uh, playgrounds and uh, courts of uh, New York City as a kid. And, uh, of course, went to uh, St. John's as well. I mean, representing the city and uh, and the borough, in fact, uh, of Queens uh, during his time there. A guy who was a, a teammate of uh, a fellow uh, uh, 85 draft class uh, player, Mario Ellie, guy who was taken late and who will uh, come up later in the episode. But uh, really a, a fantastic career. Uh, his number twenty uh, honored by the uh, by the St. John's Red Storm, and uh, his number seventeen retired by uh, the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, I mean the Golden State Warriors have certainly had a lot of great players come through there, and to get your number retired there is um, quite the honor. Uh, no, no question about it. And uh, as you mentioned, a, a Hall of Famer. Uh, he was the uh, number seven uh, pick in the actual uh, eighty-five NBA draft, and uh, I had him a little bit lower. I had him actually at number four. Uh, on my draft, which is uh, very reasonable, redraft, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think you could easily have had him at three as well. All right, so who do you have at three? All right, I guess we should get to that. And uh, we're talking about TP Terry Porter, also known as uh, Gandhi. Uh, this guy was uh, was a terrific player, yeah, two time all star, and um, yeah, I mean, doesn't somebody that like focus in any specific area of the floor, just like great all around player. Good score, um, good assister, disher. Um, yeah, I mean, didn't like specifically like have a great area where he was amazing, but um, certainly a great all-around ball player. Yeah, brought a lot of glory to uh, your Blazers uh, during his uh, time in the league. Uh, you know, took that Blazers team to a uh, finals appearance against, uh, you know, Jordan. 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 I mean, with whom uh, he shared a haircut and I think still does. Uh, to this day, uh, just a, a very impressive player. I mean, 1,274 regular season games for this guy after coming into the league in that uh, 85 draft with the 24th overall pick uh, by the Blazers, an attendee of uh, University of Wisconsin, Stevens Point. Not a lot of guys coming out of there. Probably the only one if I had to guess. I mean, yeah, he is the only one. And um, for um, University of Wisconsin, Steven Point, I mean, if you were going to pick one player to come out of your college, um, He'll certainly be up high up there, um, considering how many players put in the NBA. Yeah, and that's actually an NAIA school. We come across this uh, uh, not too long ago. We're talking about uh, you know the small schools out there, like uh, Jack Sigma uh, attended, and uh, he was the um, uh, NAIA, NAIA uh, tournament MVP back in uh, 1984, and a uh, first team All American in '84 and '85. Uh, so a guy who emerged from uh, relatively humble uh, basketball uh, beginnings at the college level and. Uh, obviously went on to an extremely successful NBA career. And I know he, he's not in the Hall of Fame. I mean, uh, you know, this uh, draft class, as we mentioned, has he uh, has several Hall of Famers. He's, uh, I mean, he's he's definitely in the consideration set, right? I mean, when you I add up his value across all these seasons, uh, really did a tremendous job. And uh, I feel like... Go ahead. I feel like for, like, somebody to come out in NI... NAIA. NAIA um, school um, and be 24th overall, like, you must be, like, 
really good. Yeah. Like, for people who notice you in an AI school, like, there's not that many scouts coming to that game, and uh, I, I just feel like that's right. I totally agree with you. And, I mean, you know, he went from, from those beginnings to being 32nd all-time in games played in the NBA. Oh, wow. I mean, talk about earning uh, your, your status there. I mean, I mean that's 1,274 games in the league. That's pretty rough. And 17th all-time in, in raw assists for uh, for Terry Porter. So I, I think he has one of those uh, Hall of Fame cases that is uh, uh, really pretty strong, I mean, based on the volume as opposed to uh, just like, you know, superstar status uh, in, you know, specific years or during a portion of his career. A really, really good player. And, of course, went on to uh, coach as well. Uh, Terry Porter, a, a head coach, uh, not for too long, but for a couple of years there with the Bucks in uh, 03 to 05, and another season with the uh, with the Suns as well. Yeah, so um, got around. Uh, absolutely. So where where do you have uh, Terry Porter on your uh, in your redraft? I had Terry Porter at number five, and number four I um, had Joe Dumars just ahead of Terry Porter. I um. I had him squeak it out there with being a six-time All-Star, two-time NBA champ, three-time All-NBA, five-time All-Defensive, Finals MVP, um, All-Rookie Team, and, of course, a whole thing. And uh, Finals MVP for uh, my Pistons. I mean, come on. And uh, actually played his entire career with the, uh, with the Pistons franchise. Yeah, and, I mean, I feel like you don't think of this guy as, like, an amazing, amazing player. I mean, I, I certainly didn't realize he was five-time All-Defensive. And, um, yeah, I mean – Great scorer and also apparently a great um great on defense. Yeah, really great defender. I mean, obviously those uh, th- those placements on uh, on all defensive teams uh, point to that. But uh, a guy who was just rock solid in the backcourt alongside Isaiah Thomas uh, for so many years with the Pistons. A guy who was capable of running the point when uh, when Isaiah was on the bench or unavailable for whatever reason. But uh, yeah, I mean, just a guy who was a part of a ton of winning basketball. I mean, 112 regular. Uh, excuse me, 112. Uh, postseason games for the Pistons, and uh, that's to go along with over a thousand, uh, one thousand eighteen uh, regular season games, and uh, yeah, I mean two titles and six All Star appearances. I mean that that's that, that's pretty good stuff. Yeah, and I know you got you had this guy very high list as well, and um... yeah, I had him in the fifth spot, and I think it's worth mentioning as well. Joe Dumars' uh, career uh, off the court. I mean, a, a guy who was uh, really responsible for putting together the uh, Pistons team. That won the uh, 2004 championship. Uh, so I great mean, GM. Yeah, I mean, well, he's had, had a lot of success as an executive. I know. Uh, Apparently, the Kings GM. I think. Well, I mean, he he had been working in the Kings uh, front office until uh, pretty recently. A guy who's been involved in front offices uh, for quite some time uh, is currently working for uh, for the NBA again. Uh, I'm trying to remember what his uh, position is at the moment. He's uh, uh, executive uh, vice president and head of basketball operations for the NBA. So, having taken that job after stepping down with the Kings, I think there was some. Hope that he would be able to move into a uh, more central capacity as a decision maker with the Kings, and it seemed like that wasn't going to happen. So he moved out, but back to the league office. And I think uh, a, a guy who has been uh, central in, in a lot of basketball decision making, uh, even since his career ended. I would say, and um, definitely one of the best um, player GM things in like um, combination in the league. Set. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, in the Hall of Fame since uh, 2006, but I think he would have an argument to make it as an executive as well, potentially. And, uh, I mean, all, all this from a guy who attended McNeese State University and was taken with the 18th pick in this draft by the Pistons. Yeah, so I always, many. as I said just before, I always find it impressive these guys coming out of small schools getting picked pretty high. 
Yeah, for sure. And uh, Joe Dumars, this is a guy who's 6'3", 190. So it's not like his uh, size, physical stature was uh, was getting him noticed. It was his play and, uh, you know, stuck around for, I mean, look, Hall of Fame career. Yeah. Uh, wore number four his entire career. And, uh, yeah, I mean, did a uh, did a wonderful job. So uh, where did you have him on your list? Did you, did you say already? Yeah, I had him four. Four. Okay, so let's uh, let, let's keep moving here. I had Joe Dumars in the uh, in, in the five spot. Yeah. All right, so I think we're we're matched up on our on our top five a little bit different order so far, but uh, let's move on to number six. Who'd you have there? I had just talked about him recently. Great player on the uh, Sonics Thunder, three time All Star, All NBA, two times six man. Apparently, the Grand Tootin. Um, great player. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the Grand Teton. <laughs> I like the way you said it even better. We're talking about Detlef Schrempf. Um, I didn't realize that. Uh, yeah, t- taken with the uh, with the eighth pick in this draft, so pretty close to his uh, his draft slot in the redraft. I mean, both of us having him at, at, at the sixth spot. But, uh, yeah, a guy who just played a really long time in the league and uh, contributed at a high level uh, for a, a lot of that time. Three-time All-Star and, um, you know, part of that Sonics team that uh, went up against uh, those Jordan Bulls uh, and, yeah, and I feel know, like... fell in the finals. I feel like um, a lot of um, I feel like you don't see a lot of people who get two times six man and three time all star. Yeah, I think I think that is an unusual combination, but uh, really spoke to uh, Shrimp's versatility over the course of his career. I mean, was able to uh, take on that starting role. I think uh, you know more with the uh, with the Sonics in his thirties, where he started at a much higher percentage. Yeah, of I mean, games. I feel like you think of him as the Sonics, but he didn't get to the Sonics until he was thirty one. Yeah, so I had really gotten through a lot of NBA basketball at that point. I mean, I you know someone who uh, you know he's German, um, German born, I grew up in Germany, but a guy who came through the American high school uh, and college system. I think he did just one year in uh, American high school in Washington, but then of course attended the University of Washington and uh, came through the draft process and uh, really had a full NBA career despite being a uh, European. Very uh, much so. Yeah, getting uh, you know one thousand one hundred and thirty six games in. So I mean, really played a lot. Yeah, a lot of these guys in this draft are definitely outclassing their um, their draft spot, which is um, very impressive. Uh, for sure. Even, uh, you know, represented the uh, West Germany national team in the uh, 84 Olympics and uh, was even named German Player of the Year in 1982. Yeah, I mean, there's not that many. There's a lot of good players in um, Germany. Yeah, so to be uh, German Player of the Year, that's... Very, very, very impressive. Yeah, it's a high honor. All right, so not too many uh, guys get that, especially not once you get to the NBA. Right, it'd probably be just one a year. Yeah, I would say. <laughs> right. So, I mean, how long was the German league around? Like, hundred years, maybe. Yeah, so let, let's keep moving here. Uh, let, let's talk about our number seven pick. I think we got the same guy here. Yes, we did, and we had the last Hall of Famer we're going to talk about today, Arvidas Sabonis, and this was the guy who I was saying um, might be the case of. Um, being a rookie of the year another year because he played he was drafted in 85 but then he played 10 years in Lithuania and Spain and then came to the NBA so didn't come to the NBA until he was around 30 which was 10 years after he was drafted yeah but I mean you know had already established himself at that point uh, as, uh, as as one of the great players uh, who was playing outside the NBA uh, you know, really made his name uh, in in those uh, Lithuanian and, and Spanish leagues, and also as a uh, as a player for uh, the national team. Yeah, and uh, played with the Blazers for his whole career, and uh, this guy certainly took a um, a lot of the years off. If you look at his basketball reference page, uh, basketball reference, um, there's um, 
there's like what, like how many seasons is that? 16 seasons on there, but he's only playing in six of them. Yeah, because he was getting busy over there in uh, in, in Europe where he was uh, being named uh, one of FIBA's uh, 50 greatest players. He was winning uh, Mr. Europa Player of the Year a couple of times, uh, four-time Lithuanian Sportsman of the Year, uh, Spanish League MVP a couple of times, Spanish All-Star Game MVP a couple of times. Spanish this guy's pretty nasty MVP overseas. A couple of times. Yeah, just absolutely killed it. Uh, and, and when he came over after uh, 10 seasons away or 10 seasons after his uh, draft year, uh, went ahead and got on that all-rookie team there in 95-96. Uh, and um, to get an all-rookie team, um, you got to be pretty good, as we've talked about many times before uh, on this on this podcast. But you might be thinking, well, how did he get into the Hall of Fame? Well, they do take into account when um, getting in the Hall of Fame um, how well you do overseas or something. Yeah, absolutely. And, and your international uh, play uh, factors in as well. Uh, as, as I think I mentioned incompletely before, uh, Arvidas Sabonis winning the uh, gold medal with uh, the Soviet Union in uh, the 1988 Olympics. So uh, certainly that would come into play uh, when you're thinking about his Hall of Fame case. Yeah. Where was he born? In uh, Lithuania. Oh. And he did play in Lithuania after his or after he was drafted um, a little bit. Did retire for one season. Um, right, right at the end of his career, came back for one more season after that, but this guy was just like a hardcore big man. I mean, very slow. I feel like you always think of big men as like slow, big, great rebounders, good putbacks. Like whenever I play with him or play against him in video games, he's um, very hard to stop under the basket. Yeah, I mean, a really efficient scorer. I mean, a guy who, uh, you know, got it in at a 50% rate around from the field uh, during his <laughs> career, which, I mean, it doesn't tell you all, all that much, but – a guy who was efficient, didn't play a huge number of minutes uh, in the NBA, averaging just 24.2 during his NBA time, but uh, very efficient in those minutes. I mean, he's averaging 12 points and uh, 7.3 rebounds, 2.1 assists uh, in, in just those uh, 24.2 minutes. A, uh, a really a, um, really good uh, passer. I mean, so is his reputation in, uh, in Europe. I feel like probably most of his prime years played uh, outside the NBA. So uh, probably never got really a chance to see what this guy would have been like uh, had he been in the NBA at his uh, the peak of his powers. But uh, a guy who, who made enough of an impact both in and out of the league to uh, get himself in the Hall of Fame. Which is very impressive. I mean, this guy being drafted um, 77th overall to get into the Hall of Fame. I mean, that's yeah, 70, impressive. He was taken 77th overall in, in, uh, in, in this draft here. But actually uh, – uh, like one other player who we'll discuss later, uh, his uh, draft pick was uh, was ruled ineligible because he was apparently too young to be drafted at that time. So he was under 21. The rules required you to be 21 at the time. So actually was uh, then available the next year uh, for the Blazers to take with the 24th pick. So it was actually selected by the Hawks initially uh, in this year's draft class, but uh, he didn't actually come into the league as a result of that pick. So a little, something to keep in mind here, but uh, definitely uh, definitely part of this draft class. He was selected in the 85 draft. All right, let's take a, a, a quick break here, and we'll be back to uh, cover the remainder of our lotteries. We forgot to mention about the fact that um, two things. Um, Arvada Sabonis' son just so happens to be Demonis Sabonis. Yeah, very good player. Which is um, – you might have um, imagined. And also, um, when we talked about Carl Malone, our dog here, 
um, is named Carl, and after Carl Malone, Carl Malone. And, um, yeah, so I just forgot to mention those two things. Yeah, indeed. Uh, we have a uh, Carl Malone uh, right at our feet as we uh, record here. Um, all right, so let, let's keep moving here. So uh, let, let's talk about the uh, number eight pick in this uh, redraft. Mills, who'd you have there? I had Hot Rod Williams. Now, Hot Rod Williams was a pretty good player. I really do not like his name. I think it should be John Williams. Nah, Hot Rod Williams, I just do not like how that sounds. But, but, but you, know, you know why he got the name Hot Rod Williams? Because of uh, the noises that he used to make as a uh, baby when he uh, scooted across the floor. <laughs> Sounded like engine noises. Um, he unfortunately is not with us anymore, um, dying at the age 53. Very unfortunate. But he did make an all-rookie team and played 13 years in the league and had a very solid career, averaging 11 points per game for, career, for his career, 6.8 rebounds, and um, just a solid play. Yeah, agreed. I mean, he, he uh, lasted 887 uh, regular season games uh, with the uh, predominantly with the Cavs, but also playing some seasons with the Suns and finally with the uh, Mavericks to end his, end his career. Uh, actually, um, kind of interesting uh, looking back at, uh, at how Rob Williams' career was involved in a uh, point-shaving scandal while uh, in college at, uh, at Tulane that uh, ended up uh, getting that program shut down for uh, several years. So that was uh, that was unfortunate, but uh, he made his way past that and uh, and and got it uh, got onto the Cavs with the forty uh, fifth overall pick in this draft. So right. guy who definitely outperformed his draft slot, uh, no question about that. And um, you know was able to uh, to go on to a really solid uh, career wearing number eighteen. Yeah, I mean, in this draft there was three people ahead of him that didn't even play in the league. Well, yeah, I mean, that happens sometimes, especially if you're getting taken in the second round. I know, but, I mean, look at this guy's career. He played 13 years. Yeah, 13 years for uh, for Hot Rod Williams and uh, really really did some impressive stuff. I mean, 44th all-time in blocks, uh, 46th all-time in block percentage, and if you're doing those things, uh, you hang around for a while and you, you play with a certain level of uh, quality. Yeah, for sure. And um, a solid career and um, especially – Good on defense, I think. Yeah, so it's really those blocks that stand yeah, out. Yeah, 58, 58 block percentage. Yeah, had a couple, had three seasons where he had over two blocks per game. So it definitely made an impact on that end of the court. But as, as you mentioned, a, uh, a contributor at the offensive end as well. So I, I also had Hot Rod Williams in my uh, lottery here. I had him just a couple of slots lower at number 10. Uh, I mean, I'm not arguing that. I think I think these these three that we're about to talk about, we all have in the in this area and i think that's very reasonable for this draft yeah i agree with you so let's move on to the guy who i had number eight and we're talking about ac green the man known as uh iron man yeah and um ac of course um <laughs> well i mean <laughs> needless to say um yeah this guy um was um just hardcore i mean and the next guy he just um played and played and played and played most games in a row in NBA history, which is very impressive. 1,278 games in his career over the course of 15 seasons. Um, so, I mean, this guy just really played. I mean, he never had a season. Well, I mean, in the 99 season, they only played 50 games. Yeah. So he played 50 games that season. But he never had a season where he played three less than the amount of games that season. 
Yeah, I mean, really, uh, most remarkable for uh, his longevity, without any question, his Ironman streak. Uh, taken with the 23rd overall pick by the Lakers in this draft, uh, 6'9", 220 out of uh, Oregon State. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he, he played so he played 82 games that first season, 85-86, played 79 his uh, second season, and, and missed three games that year. Those were the last three games he would miss in his career. Went on to play the final 1,192 games of his career. It ended with his retirement. This guy never, that, that's never how that's up. how he stopped his streak. He retired. It wasn't. It, no, I thought it was he. They, he didn't play any game. Nope. He retired. It's really remarkable. I mean, you know, you just think of all the things that can go wrong when you're playing basketball. All the things that could cause you to miss a game, and this guy never did three in his whole career. Really, I mean, to make to make Carl uh, Malone look like a guy who missed games, I mean, by comparison, uh, you got to be AC Green, basically. Yeah, I mean, this guy just played, as I said at the beginning, played and played and played and played and played. And it's not like he's getting in there for, you know, a couple of minutes uh, at the end to keep the streak going or something like that. I mean, this guy averaged 28.6 minutes per game over the Yeah, I mean, even in his last season, 17.2 minutes a game, 4.5 points per game. And this guy, this guy played. Yeah, coming off the bench for the Heat down the end, but really, I mean, made his uh, made his name with those uh, Lakers teams and was a contributor on some really good Suns teams as well, and of course a uh, a three time NBA champ. Yeah, and with those Lakers teams in the eighties, so um, got got what, got what he deserved. I mean, he definitely deserved the Heat titles and All Star appearance. Yeah, uh, no, no question. I mean, I uh, got his uh, number 45 retired after an excellent career at uh, Oregon State and, uh, you know, played alongside some fantastic teammates with those uh, Lakers squads in the uh, late 80s and early 90s for sure. With Magic, yeah, I mean, James Worthy. Yeah, some, some great players. I mean, championship players, uh, you know. Korean I mean, probably a little bit. Playing for a championship coach in, uh, in Pat Riley. But, yeah, I mean, a guy, a guy who had a, f- a phenomenal career, if, if not uh, someone who was uh, a superstar. But I, I think, you know, if you're redrafting. I wouldn't call him a superstar. No, I said he, he wasn't a superstar, but he, he was a, a really good role player for a long time. I would say. And, and uh, you know, always ready to answer the bell. I mean, pretty much literally. Call his number. He's ready. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, he was my pick at, in the eighth spot. Uh, Mills, who'd you have at nine? And um, I did have. AC Green at nine. Okay, so uh, we can move on to uh, my pick at nine, who I know you had, uh, I think, at ten. And we're talking about Oak, Charles Oakley. This guy was also very hardcore. I mean, a great defender. I don't think he – I think he should have more than two-time all-defensive team. um, One-time also. I definitely think of him as a defender. But a good scorer, too, especially at the beginning of his career when he was getting over – 10 points per game a few times there. But um, definitely played a big part in those um, Knicks teams. Um, yeah, Patrick alongside Ewing. Patrick Ewing, yeah, for sure. Both in the same draft class, and uh, both ended up on the same team. Not drafted by the same team, though. Right. I mean, uh, Oakley taken uh, taken by the Bulls and, of course, famously traded uh, to the Knicks for uh, Bill Cartwright uh, after, uh, you know, playing alongside. I mean, you know, he keeps Jordan. coming up. But, I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm talking about Jordan. Uh, at, at the beginning of his career and really served as kind of an enforcer uh, and, you know, was willing, I mean, throughout his career, willing to throw throw his uh, muscle around. I mean, this is one of the premier tough guys of his era. And uh, his era went on for a long time, I mean, a real long time. I would say, I mean, he played 
until he was 40. And he started when he was 22. So he played 18 years in the league. He, he, he really did. And a lot of those years, I mean, he was playing a very prominent role. I mean, starting, uh, you know, alongside, you know, the likes of Jordan, but also, I mean, as you mentioned, the, uh, the those Patrick Ewing-led Knicks. Get this. He started 1,159 games out of 1,282 games. That's only, like, 133 games missed. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, you know, he was doing that in the playoffs as well, a guy who was really heavily relied upon by uh, by these guys. I think one thing to note about uh, Charles Oakley, you mentioned his defense, just a ferocious rebounder. I mean, six foot nine, two 245, but, I mean, some incredible – This guy got re- 35 rebounds in a game once. That's well, remember, remember we, we, we talked about uh, some of his rebounding exploits uh, just recently where he was in that uh, battle with Michael Cage for uh, – the um, uh, rebounding title and uh, came up just short, uh, but Charles Oakley came, certainly came. Wait, Michael Cage rebound. had like a ridiculous rebound. Yeah, he had a ridiculous rebounding game and just nudged. Uh, uh, you know, just didn't he Oakley have like twenty five rebounds by a tiny bit? I think he got twenty eight or something. We can go back and listen to uh, to that episode. But yeah, I mean, it, he was he was a ferocious rebounder, a guy who averaged uh, double digit rebounds. I think on uh, six different occasions in his career and averaged nine point five uh, for his career overall. I mean, that's that's with you know, some seasons down the stretch where he didn't play nearly as much and wasn't playing nearly as many minutes. So, I mean, r- really a fantastic, fantastic rebounder. Especially with the Bulls. And physical presence. Great. Yeah, for sure. Um, currently the uh, the coach of the uh, the Killer Threes out there in the uh, in, in the Big Three. And uh, a, a guy who really, I mean, uh, has hung around basketball in, in one form or another uh, for a really long time. Yeah, he was in the Big Three. Well, he was a coach in the Big Three. Yeah, I mean, a bit older to be a player. Yeah, a bit old to be a player. He's now uh, 58 years old, but uh, certainly a very memorable player. And just on, on a personal note, I mean, we have a, a few of these guys in this uh, draft class who uh, were actually uh, on the court at my first uh, NBA game, the first one I attended, talking uh, Pistons versus uh, Knicks back in uh, 1990. And uh, Charles Oakley was there. Patrick Ewing was there. Gerald Wilkins was there. There were, there were a few, few of these guys who uh, were part of that game. Uh, yeah, let's keep, uh, let's keep moving here. Yeah, so I had Howard, or you had Howard Williams at 10. I had um, Charles Oakley at 10. So you can move on to 11. Um, I had Xavier McDaniel. Yeah, no, no, you're eager to talk about this guy? Let's do it. Yeah, one-time All-Star, X-Man, Mountain Man, X, um, all, made the all-rookie team. And um, just, I was like, okay, this guy's probably not going to be good. Sort of by war, but I was like, this guy's probably not going to be that good. I right, just click, clicked him. I, I'd heard of him before, but clicked him. And then his numbers really jumped off the page for me. I mean, 15.9 points per game for his career. I mean, I for me, I first look at the points per game. And, um, yeah, I mean, had a season, had a stretch there. Where he was averaging over 20 points per game three seasons in a row, or four or five seasons in a row. And um, I found that very impressive. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, he really figured out how to, how to get buckets in the NBA. Uh, especially during those early years, uh, it certainly uh, really boosted what the uh, SuperSonics were doing in those uh, those first five years before uh, getting dealt to the uh, to the Suns during his age well, twenty seven season. Off a bit. Yeah, definitely dropped off a bit, but it was still a you know really solid role player and, uh, and a starter with the Knicks in ninety one ninety two. So another guy who was part of uh, you know part of these squads with uh, Ewing and Oakley um, during that time. But uh, yeah, I mean you know. Uh, number four overall pick in this draft uh, out of uh, Wichita State, uh, and a guy who I think you know. I mean, you'd generally be really happy to get a guy who had this kind of career out of the four spot. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you want to uh, his number thirty four retired at uh, Wichita State, uh, by the way. 
Let's uh, let's keep moving here. Um, that was your uh, 11. Yeah, you had him at the 12. I had him at the 12 uh, pick, and uh, at the 11 pick, I had a guy who went a whole lot later in the actual NBA draft. We're talking about a guy who in the seventh round, 160th yes. overall, so one of the absolute last picks in this seven-round draft, and I'm talking about three-time NBA champion Mario Eli. Yeah, I mean, this guy, to get in the lottery on a redraft, wow. I mean, I had my 13th as well, so I mean, this guy, just very impressive. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, yeah. even get, yeah. not not a star. I mean, you don't you don't see uh, a, a ton of accolades for uh, Mario Eli in his career, but you do see that he played uh, seven hundred and thirty two regular season games out of that one hundred and sixtieth overall pick. Yeah, and a guy who attended American International College. That doesn't even sound real. Yeah, but uh, he he came out of there a a, a New Yorker. A guy who actually played with uh, with Chris Mullen, as we mentioned, uh, Molly, uh, in high school uh, briefly at Power Memorial High School in uh, in New York, and um, guy who could really pop it. I mean, I de- definitely remember him most prominently as a member of uh, those uh, Rockets teams uh, in, uh, in in Houston in the uh, the mid nineties. Winning those titles. Yeah, I mean, got uh, got a couple of his titles there, and um, you know, was a really useful piece for them. I mean, both in the starting lineup and coming off the bench uh, during that time. Yeah, winning his last title with the Spurs in the 99-2000 season at the tail end of his career, but still contributing for them, playing um, 98-99 season, playing all 17 games in the playoffs and starting all 17 games. Yeah, and I mean, like, you know, averaging 31 minutes a game. So, I mean, definitely was was on the court. I think they might have won or only lost one game in the postseason if they only played 17 games. uh, The Spurs? Yeah, they only lost two. They lost two uh, postseason games, one to the Timberwolves in the first round and one to the Knicks in the finals. So really a, a dominating team uh, that year with the, uh, the short, uh, shortened season, uh, just 50 games, but uh, certainly one that the uh, Spurs ran through in terms of the postseason. Yeah, I would say. I mean, and they had a great team there. I mean, um, David Robinson and early Tim Duncan. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, Mario Eli, uh, really a, a testament to uh, – you know, putting in the work and uh, and you know playing uh, playing basketball wherever he could uh, to get himself into the league. Uh, before making his debut in the NBA, played uh, for Killister, Miami Tropics, Union de Santa Fe, Overense, the Albany Patroons, all those teams prior to uh, making his NBA debut with the uh, with the Warriors in uh, the 1991 season at age 27. So to think he would go from uh, from there to being a uh, uh, three-time NBA champion, pretty wild. I would say. Uh, great work. I mean, out of getting over ten points per game, I mean, yeah. and a nickname, great nickname in my opinion, Junkyard Dog. Junkyard Dog. I mean, this guy, uh, you know, was ready to scrap and ready to do uh, what it took to uh, to get on the court and stay on the court. I really think of him and as to win the game. Uh, yeah, and to win the game, absolutely. It was a, a big part of winning. A uh, guy who wore number eight, twenty, and seventeen over the course of uh, his time in the league. Uh, so you mentioned you had Mario Eli on your squad as well, right? At 13, yes. On your squad, in your in your redraft. All right, so let, let's keep it moving. Who'd you have at, uh, at, at 12? Have we gotten to them yet? No, we have not. I had Michael Adams. Michael Adams, yes. This guy uh, featured in my redraft as well at the 13 spot. Let's talk about him. Yes, this guy didn't really know much about him, but one-time All-Star, I mean, can't really deny that. I mean, the solid player in the league for sure. Um during his time 
And, um, yeah, I mean, getting to 26.5 points per game for the Nuggets. I mean, I'm surprised they didn't get to the All-Star game that year. I mean, that is, I mean, that is filling it up 10.5 assists. <laughs> How many games did he play? 66 games. Well, he did make the All-Star team the next year, which is, I mean, certainly good that he got rewarded for that incredible season. How, uh, how did you go from 15.5 points per game and 6.3 assists per game to 10.5 assists per game and 26.5 points per game? That is absurd. Yeah, I mean, the Nuggets were playing a very up-tempo style at that time, but still, those numbers do really jump off the screen at you. I mean, you know, anybody who gets a 26.5 points uh, per game average uh, in a season, that's that's very notable. Yeah, I would say. And to jump from 15.5? Yeah, I mean, you can really, really fill it up at that point. Uh, yeah, Michael Adams, I mean, a guy who, I mean, his career, that was really obviously as, as good as it got for him. Yeah. But uh, taken with the 66th pick in the third round of this draft uh, out of Boston College, uh, a guy who's from uh, from Hartford, Connecticut, so up around this way, uh, had a really good career. I mean, I, I think, you know, as compared with some of the, uh, you know, multiple-time All-Stars and Hall of Famers in this class, I mean, clearly a step behind, but a guy who, I mean, you'd be absolutely thrilled to get him with uh, – a pick this late in the lottery. I mean, they had a fantastic career. I mean, uh, 653 regular season games, 510 of those as uh, starts. And, I mean, really, really good player. I would say. I mean, 66 overall in the draft as well. Yeah. So his uh, number 23 uh, retired at Boston College, one of the great players to uh, come out of there in terms of their uh, success in the uh, in the league. Yeah. All right, so I think we're down to uh, down to our, our last um, uh, lottery pick here, and we're talking about uh, uh, number fourteen here. Yes, we are. And um, I had Michael Adams at twelve. Where did you have him? I had Michael Adams at thirteen. So at, at fourteen, I believe we both have Tyrone Corbin. Ty and the Milkman. Um, this guy just had a very extensive career. Um, throughout um, playing with a lot of teams, 1,605 games, and that is... I think it's nine teams. That, nine uh, teams. Ty Corbin suited up for in his NBA career. Yeah, I mean, Hawks, Jazz, Timberwolves, Suns, Kings, Cavs, Spurs, Heat, Raptors. This guy really, um, really got some uniforms. For sure. I, I mean, he, you know, a very, very well-traveled uh, player, a guy who... Uh, had, has had uh, some uh, experience as a coach as well. Actually, took over for uh, Jerry Sloan when he uh, hung it up with the Jazz after a uh, storied career as a uh, as a coach there. I was coached by Jerry Sloan. I was coached by Jerry Sloan as well. I mean, it was an assistant on his uh, on his bench too, so was trusted to uh, to take over the reins. Uh, not a guy who really had uh, stats that jump out at you outside of a couple of seasons in a few different categories, but. Um, you know, made 458 uh, starts during the regular season. Uh, had some uh, playoff experience as well with a whole bunch of different franchises. I mean, played in the playoffs. I mean, some of them not, not for very long, but with six different teams. Uh, really, really well-traveled guy. And uh, I'll say all players are well-traveled in the NBA. That's a great point <laughs> because, I mean, they fly all over the place to play all these games. I mean, it's, it's like, yeah, you know, but he played, I mean, 16 years. Well-traveled home court. Yes, uh, without any question, uh, really made his way around the league. And, uh, you know, the guy who uh, came out of DePaul was the uh, 35th overall pick in the uh, in the second round of the 85 draft. And uh, I, I had him at the uh, 14th spot as well. 
All right, so there's a couple more guys I want to get to before we uh, wrap up this episode. But before we do, let's just go over who what the actual uh, order was, the top 14 in the uh, 85 draft. Okay, so at number one, let me number one pick. All right, Patrick Ewing. Number two, Wayman Tisdale. And he's out of Oklahoma. Let's just mention that for anyone we haven't talked about yet. From Oklahoma. Number three, Benoit Benjamin out of Creighton. Number four, Xavier McDaniel out of Wichita State. Number five, John Conkak at SMU. The the top five, three of them are not in the um, top 14. Worth, worth noting, though, I mean, the, the top 10 players who were taken in this draft played at least 11 years in the league. That is pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. But not all of them were very good. Um, number six, Joe Klein. Joe mm-hmm. Klein. Um, number seven, Chris Smolin. Number eight, Detlef Schrempf. Number nine, Charles Oakley. Number 10, Ed Beckney. Number 11, Keith Lee. Oh, yeah, Keith Lee. Number 12, Kenny Green, sorry. Keith Lee out of Memphis, Ed Peckney out of Villanova. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Kenny Green, Wake Forest. 13, Carl Malone, Louisiana Tech. 14, Al Frederick Hughes. Out of uh, Loyola Chicago. Yeah, Loyola Chicago. All right, so we'll take a a quick break here. We'll be back to uh, talk about a couple more guys and uh, wrap up this episode. We're back to uh, wrap up this episode by talking about a few other notable players who were taken in this uh, 1985 draft class. Uh, Can't get to everybody, but uh, we we do want to mention uh, Spud Webb. Now, this guy really, I mean, has a a major part in uh, basketball history. Yeah, I mean, this guy... It's 5'6", and, I mean, there's not much more to be said. I mean, this guy is 5'6", and won the dunk contest. And, and listed at 133 pounds. God, this guy was tiny. Yeah, really, really tiny. And uh, he played 814 games in the league. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and he scored like 60 points a game one season. Yeah, I mean, 429 career starts. You got to give it up for Spud Webb. I mean, this is a guy who, I mean, you can only imagine how many barriers he must have come across as a result of his size. People telling him he couldn't do it, couldn't make it to the league. And boy, I mean, he, he made, made it, it to the league. He made it to the league in a huge way. I mean, as you mentioned, averaging as many as 16 points per game. I mean, he went, he had multiple seasons where he started every game. Pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, you imagine. That's five, six. Yeah. I mean, how much is he giving up on the defensive end every night? And yet, I mean, he's still doing enough offensively and shooting it well enough to, uh, to you know, warrant starting as much as he did. Uh, eight, almost an 85% shooter from the line uh, for his career. Is very efficient from there. I mean, 45% from the floor for his career. Again, this man was five, six. <laughs> Not a lot of easy buckets for you if you're yeah, around that he, height. He's getting up 2.83s a game, too. Yeah, and I, as I was doing, uh, and really uh, jumped onto the uh, public consciousness, I think, uh, beyond basketball when he won the uh, slam dunk contest. And uh, I was just reading a little bit about uh, the story of that prior to uh, our record here. I was teammates with uh, the great Dominique Wilkins at the time, and I guess uh, Spud Webb didn't do any like trick dunks or anything like that in practice. So Dominique uh, did not know what Spud Webb had uh, to bring into the dunk contest. And maybe didn't take it as seriously as uh, as he might have otherwise. And Spud Webb broke out the bag in that <laughs> dunk contest and took it down. He as, sure did. 
the uh, at the time the uh, first guy under six feet tall to uh, win the dunk contest. I think still he and Nate Robinson the only ones to uh, pull it off, but uh, certainly one of the great leapers in NBA history. And definitely worthy of the mention. I mean, I certainly thought about the Absolutely. I mean, it just speaks to how deep this draft is that a player has accomplished a spud web. It uh, doesn't make it into the uh, top 14, but taken uh, by the Pistons, actually, with the uh, 87th pick in the uh, 85 draft. And I mean, he attended uh, Midland College and then uh, transferred to NC State after he proved himself there. But really, I mean, a, a guy who performed at every level uh, and was doubted at every level and overcame it all, basically. So, I mean, you yeah, really, really got to give it up for spud 87th web. pick in the draft. 87th pick in the draft. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, a tremendous, tremendous career from uh, the great Spud Webb. All right, let's talk next about uh, Wayman Tisdale. This guy, unfortunately, he has passed away, was the second pick in the draft. Yeah, second pick in the draft, despite uh, supposedly uh, back in high school not being interested, or maybe maybe before high school, growing up apparently not interested in basketball. A uh, guy whose uh, passion was uh, was music. And uh, went on to a uh, career as a successful musician uh, uh, after his NBA career ended. And, I mean, it's hard to keep him off the team. I mean, he he had a good career. I mean, now that I'm looking at it, I mean, maybe I should have put him on my squad, but lottery. But um, 15.3 points per game for his career. And, yeah, just solid player in the league for sure. I mean, got up over 20 points per game back-to-back seasons there. Yeah, solid player. Yeah, I think you definitely could have made an argument having him uh, towards the bottom of the uh, the lottery for this class. Uh, played 840 regular season games, as you mentioned, a really accomplished player in college. Uh, so much so that he was named uh, Mr. Basketball USA. That's a high school designation, but that, that was back in 1982. And a uh, McDonald's All-American as well. Um, yeah, I mean, consensus first team All-American uh, three times uh, in, in college. So, I mean, a really, really accomplished player there. And of course, that manifests in the uh, number two overall pick in the uh, in, in the draft uh, for the um, the Pacers uh, back in 1985. So, uh, you know, a, a guy who really, I mean, I think opened my eyes. I mean, hearing about his uh, his music uh, interest and, and career, that like you know, players like they could absolutely have like another chapter of their career beyond basketball. And if uh, sure. you know, they're great musicians like Wayman Tisdale. I mean. Mm-hmm. They can pursue that and have a lot of success in that world too. And I remember, you know, seeing uh, references to Wayman Tisdale over the years about him as a musician. I mean, you know, like nothing to do with his basketball career. I mean, he proved himself completely in that area as well. And uh, as you mentioned, sadly, uh, no longer with us, uh, having passed away back in 2009. Yes, unfortunately, but a great NBA player along with a musician. Yeah, for sure. All right, so let's uh, let, let's get to just a couple more guys here. Let's talk about uh, Sam Mitchell briefly. Okay, so Sam Mitchell, this guy, solid career, what? Yeah, solid career. Solid career. That's all you need to say. Uh, <laughs> no, no, 994 regular season games. I mean, this guy really put in some work. He sure did. And um, 57th, 54th overall pick, and I feel like a lot of these guys pick, be picking, picked late and um, have managed to have solid careers for themselves. This guy played 13 years in the league, and also – um. Pretty good on the coaching front. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one one coach of the year in uh, 2007, uh, coaching with the Raptors uh, during that time. And uh, yeah, I mean, had a really uh, you know useful career. I mean, not not a starter for. Uh, I mean, only uh, 322 starts out of his uh, 994 regular season games, and uh, not someone who's relied upon as the uh, focal point of any of his teams, but uh, a really useful contributor at uh, at six six two ten, a guy who could play uh, both forward spots. 
pretty well coming out of uh, Mercer back in that uh, 95 draft in the third round. Yeah. Um, his coaching career. Coach of the year. Yeah, coach of the year with uh, with, with the Raptors. I mean, that's really his uh, uh, where he's got the most of his head coaching experience in. Uh, also coached for a year with the uh, the Timberwolves, I believe, uh, taking over um, when uh, Flip Saunders had to step aside uh, due to medical issues. Obviously, he passed away from those sadly, uh, you know, uh, sometime after. But um, yeah, I mean, a guy who still uh, is around the NBA now. I mean, he works uh, for NBA TV as as an analyst. So uh, you know, pop on the tube and. Uh, you might catch yourself some uh, some Sam Mitchell. Yes, you might. And, uh, yeah, I recognize his face now that I see it. Oh, yeah, of course, Sam Mitchell. <laughs> I've seen this guy plenty, right? Yes. Okay. So, uh, yeah, his, his number retired at uh, Mercer, number 42. Yeah. Uh, as, as you might expect. All right, so uh, just uh, – Couple more guys here. We're talking uh, talking about Joe Klein. No, no, Joe. Joe, Joe, Joe Klein. Yeah, I know you're a big fan of Joe Klein. This guy from uh, Slater, Missouri, uh, attended both Notre Dame and Arkansas, and went with the uh, sixth pick in the uh, 1985 draft, as we mentioned a little bit ago. Not, I don't think he deserved that spot. I think we did talk about him in either a Notre Dame or Arkansas episode. Yeah, I'm sure we talked about him in the Arkansas episode. Yeah, um, definitely a uh, a solid player. I, I kind of like that he went, like, for 35 for most of his career, and then he was like, okay, I'll switch it up, 53. Yeah, that is cool. I, I, I appreciate when uh, players, you know, uh, make, make that type of number switch when uh, their chosen number is taken. Like, Georgie um, Kulosho could have changed to 61, like, in a second season, maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I'm not that familiar with uh, Georgie Glauchkov, but since you brought him into the mix, he was uh, taken with the 148th pick in the 85 draft. But uh, getting back to Joe Klein here, a uh, bench big. I mean, uh, played 965 regular season games, just 204 of those as starts, play, averaged about 15 minutes per game uh, during his uh, time in the league. And, uh, I mean, you got to say it. I know we keep coming back to it, but this guy uh, was a member of the 97-98 uh, Bulls, and uh, he won a championship with Jordan. Yeah. Um, I mean, Jordan, you know, he keeps coming up. It all seems to come back. To it's Jordan. Jordan. Yeah, it does seem to come back to Jordan. Uh, actually played um, as well on the uh, 1984 U.S. Olympic team, which was coached by uh, Bobby Knight and uh, won a gold medal. So actually a yeah, gold medalist in addition to all his uh, excellent NBA work. Yes, he was. And um, 60 now. Yeah, still back yeah. At, uh, at 60 all these years later. All right, let's wrap it up by talking about one of the uh, – most uh, unusual players in NBA history, I would say. One of the uh, rarest uh, physical specimens. And we're talking about the great Minute Bull, who was taken with the uh, 31st pick by the Bullets in this 85 draft. Yes, he was. And um, unfortunately not with us anymore. But um, two-time block champion, which is pretty impressive, and has two relatives that um, played in the league. Kind of. I mean, Bull Bull is his son, and he's currently in the league, so uh, he, he definitely has played and in the league. And Peter Jock is is on Basketball Reference, wasn't yeah. drafted, didn't play in the league, but he's on Basketball Reference. Well, why don't you talk about uh, Manute Bull a little bit? I'll, I'll try to find out something about Peter Jock, what he did. So, um, so Manute Bull, he was a um, not a very good scorer, but, I mean, this guy averaged five blocks a game one year, and um, – Five point um or eight point eighty eighteen point seven minutes per game for his career, 
And um, definitely for his size, I mean, he did a great job on playing as many games as he did, starting 113 out of 624 games in his career, um, and averaging 3.3 blocks a game for his career. I mean, that's got to be pretty high up there on the all-time list. Yeah, he came into the league that, that first year as a rookie and, and blocked five shots a game. I mean, like, talk about <laughs> announcing yourself as a, as, as a rim protector. Yeah. Uh, yeah, played uh, six, started 60 out of his 80 games that first season, and, uh, you know, the guy who was uh, always effective in certain areas of the game uh, in, in the league. I mean, certainly on the defensive end, guy who could never really get his uh, offensive game going. I think his, his slight build uh, made it difficult for him to create the space that he needed to, uh, to to do much on the offensive end. But seven seven, two hundred pounds, uh, a new ball. I mean, one. Of, I mean, tied with George Morrison as the uh, tallest players in NBA history. Yeah, and I think he is just a tad bit taller. Yeah, I mean, that, that could, could very well be. I mean, he blocked 11 shots in a half, this guy. Um, what's, his, what's his own career high in blocks? Uh, let's uh, let's get to that right now. I was looking at this earlier. 15 blocks. He has multiple 15-block games Ooh. in his career. Ooh, that's not bad. His first six seasons, he had at least one game with double-digit blocks. Wow. Yeah, his first... Six seasons there. Yeah, I mean, a really incredible. And I mean, the next two seasons, it was seven and nine. Blocked a shot every 5.6 minutes throughout his career. That is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it's seven and seven, and he really, really knew how to use it. I mean, despite the relative brevity of his career, 18th all-time in blocks, raw blocks, 18th all-time, and second all-time in blocks per game with that 3.3 mark. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And if you look at his um, high school numbers or college numbers, he was averaging over 20 points per game. Yeah, one of the uh, rare players who came out of the uh, University of Bridgeport. Just right, 22.5 points per game, 13.5 assists or rebounds per game. Yeah, he had uh, 219 blocks in 31 games in his uh, college season. Yeah. So that's like seven blocks a game. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. It's not bad. Pretty, uh, pretty dominant from uh, from Manupol, uh, one of the great uh, rim protectors of all time. I mean, just look at the numbers. Yeah. And uh, actually never got over 18 points per game. But as we mentioned, uh, points really not his uh, specialty. It was really uh, what he could do oh, sure. on D. I would say. All right. So uh, having mentioned Manupol, I think we've gotten uh, as far as we're going to get on uh, on this episode. Obviously, more players we could get to, uh, like John Konkak. I mean, uh, you know, I'd love to get to him, but, uh, you know. We'll, we'll see. Maybe uh, you might, might be hearing uh, some more about John Conkag in the near future. Yes. Um, please check out our next episode, which is going to be on SMU. SMU, uh, the uh, home honor of uh, John Conkag and uh, a bunch of other NBA players. And we'll, uh, we'll we'll get back to you with that uh, before too long. So, yeah, if I'm um, wrap it up right here, if you want to check out any other podcast, check out Favorites with Avon and Matt or on more of our episodes. Yeah, and if you want to get in touch with us, please uh, do so at uh, barnardsonthenba at gmail.com or uh, hit us up on Twitter at barnardsonnba. Uh, Thanks so much for listening, and we will uh, talk to you next time.